Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You're listening to The Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Sneaky Joe DiBiase on WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, I'm just now, give me one second, Joe's tweeting out basically our uh, our lineup today, okay? Because we got a, we got a packed show. All right. Got a packed show. It's one of those deals where something happens, I'm like, I got to get somebody. Mm-hmm. Ronald Curry. You saw this report, Ronald Curry. Yep. Apparently being added to the Bills' offensive staff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Nick Underhill is going to join us. How about that? At 10.30 a.m. to talk about him right away. Bam! Nick, can you join us to talk about what Ronald Curry brings to the Bills? He covers the Saints down there in New Orleans. And uh, Ronald Curry's been with the Saints. So we're going to do that today. And then, excuse me, at 11 o'clock, our buddy John Harris, sideline reporter for the Texans, is going to join us. John, though, he's very big into all the prospects and uh, senior bowl. He was there. We'll talk with him. We'll talk about the Texans, C.J. Stroud. That'll be a fun conversation. Always is with John Paul Hamilton at eleven thirty. So we're we got a packed show for everybody today, Joe. We're on top of it. Nice. The uh, the news helping that along as well. I'm glad we get to get some football yes. in before I get to be uh, angry and depressed about the Sabers again when we talk to Paul at eleven thirty because that's inevitable. I know, I know. The Tuesday night curse. It's they, just they uh, lost nine of their last ten on Tuesday night games at home. I should say it's unbelievable. Which are the games that I usually go to? Which maybe maybe it's a me curse. Eric Wood asked, said that on Twitter yesterday. Maybe it's a me problem. I gotta stop going. Huh. You did. You did go last night. I did go last night. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I would say from my from my vantage point on my couch, I thought they they looked good. They played well. They could not score. That is, I think I I think I saw this earlier that it is the franchise record for most shots in a game where they only scored one goal. Like, it's never 48 shots wow. and one goal, and it wasn't even five-on-five. Five. It was power play, which, you know, we've been wanting the power play to produce anyway. Yeah, just not not a good feeling. Especially, like, it, hey, if they had been, like, in the race in a spot, you can have a night like that and go, okay, well, it's fine. They can make up for that. They've, you know, they played well at least. But when you're 10 points out, you you can't afford. You can't afford to have nights like that. No. We're going to get with uh, Paul at 1130 today. Have you looked at all about Ronald Curry? Do you know about Ronald Curry? Like, do you know much about him? Like, I, that name yeah. is very, if, you, if you're if you of certain ages, mm-hmm. that name rings really high with you in the sports world. I did not know who he was at all before mm-hmm. 20 minutes ago. 
um, 30 minutes ago okay. and then d- did some digging on like what he was in New Orleans and then quickly okay. saw videos on Twitter of like him throwing alley-oops to Julius Peppers with North Carolina yes. basketball. I'm like, okay, this guy is more than just like, you know, some assistant coach in the league. He was one of the greatest high school players of my generation. Mm-hmm. Um, athletes. He was, in fact, he was voted, and let me just get this here. I just read this a little while ago. Um, there was a award he won. Like he, he was basically like... In Virginia, he was the greatest athlete in Virginia. And, like, this is a, an area, obviously, they had um, what Michael Vick came out of Virginia. I'm not saying, like, better than him necessarily. But what I mean, like, he was in this group, right, Allen Iverson. But he could do it all. He played both football and basketball. And what happened was when he was coming out of high school, he was being recruited by Virginia, and he was going to go play for football and basketball at Virginia. Mm-hmm. And then he flipped, and he went to Carolina, and he became, like, super, like, super villain in Virginia. They hated him so much in that state, his home state, because he went to Carolina. Yeah, where he was, I guess, the quarterback and college basketball? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was the quarterback and the point guard, actually. Wow. For North Carolina. Um, I'm trying to, and then, let's see. Curry also excelled as defensive back and kick returner in addition to quarterbacking. <laughs> This dude, this dude is. I don't know. This is this is in high school. Yeah, it's crazy. Like capital A athlete. This dude, hundred percent. Yes, he was one of the best ever. In fact, uh, Bobby Bowden said he was the best high school quarterback he had ever seen at the time. All right, so this guy, like, if you're, like I said, I mean, he is how old is he? Okay, he's forty four, right? So I said, if you're like my generation, my age, like you remember this guy as the guy coming out, like, oh my god, they got this guy. He's going to be amazing, two sport athlete, Mm -hmm. you know, and. At the time, you know, Deion Sanders around then, and um, there was Mark Witten, I think, did did both, and like that was kind of like the trajectory he was on. It didn't happen. He actually didn't have a very long NFL career. Uh, he was with the Oakland Raiders for like six years. Mm-hmm. Didn't really hit as an NFL prospect, as an NFL player. But yeah, and then how about this? He was voted. This is really funny. In the Tank McNamara comic strip. He was voted Sports Jerk of the Year because he flipped to North Carolina, apparently from Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> that I guess okay, so it's it's really that uh, it's that, oh yeah that bad down there for that. I, I guess I guess that makes some sense that those ACC rivalries and even before that, if he left for to not play for Virginia or even Virginia Tech, I don't know. He I do remember him slightly by the way in the NFL. Mm-hmm. He had two years with the Raiders with seven hundred plus yards in oh six and oh seven. Um, fifty plus catches, but again, like, yeah, right. Like his his story is much more, I think, college level than than the couple of years he had with the Raiders. And this is what I was referring to. He was he was awarded the Dial Award for the National High School Scholar Athlete of the Year in nineteen ninety seven. Won the McDonald's Slam Dunk Contest and was MVP of the McDonald's All Star Game in basketball. Okay, that is. I'm glad you just told me that because now my next search is going to be let me find this guy, the New yes. Bills quarterback coach, winning a dunk contest. Which will All right, so now, I mean, like, look, honestly, like, this guy walks into the building at One Bills Drive. He goes to training camp. You know, a lot of those players, they play basketball. They hoop, and we're like, oh, who's the best basketball player? Well, yeah. guess what? It's now Ronald Curry. Ronald Curry. Yeah, right. There's. <laughs> it doesn't matter. There's no, uh, yeah, there's definitely no uh, <laughs> arguing it. I wonder if he, but one question he's got to <laughs> get from somebody is whether he can still dunk. I mean, he would have to, come on, right? 44, he's six foot two. 
You don't think he could be able? To? He'd have to be able to. Yeah, right? I bet it's close. I'm I'm watching a two minute uh, highlight of the '98 dunk contest he won. Mm-hmm. He like the second guy after him is Richard Jefferson, who had like what a 20 year NBA career that he beat out. Yeah, right. In this thing. Yep. Uh, Corey Maggette, who played in the NBA. Yeah, like he was winning. He was winning this dunk contest over like legit NBA players. At six two, by the way, Richard Jefferson's like six eight. Uh, so phenomenal athlete, but obviously now we think about okay, this is all great. This guy had this amazing career. Lots of guys were good athletes. They did things in the past. Yep. yep. What's he going to bring to the Bills? I am very intrigued by this hire because, and again, it's not official from the team that this is Aaron Wilson reporting it, but it had been reported already that Curry was going to leave the Saints staff, and now it's being reported he's joining the Bills staff. So we'll see where this goes. But the question I have is, what's the role? Because he was the quarterbacks coach for the Saints. Now, for Aaron Wilson's report, Aaron Wilson wrote that he was the Saints' passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach. I don't see passing game coordinator listed on his right. Wikipedia page here. It could be true. I, I don't know. But my guess is, is that what he does in Buffalo, though? Does he come to Buffalo to be the passing game coordinator slash quarterbacks coach? Uh, could very well be. Remember yesterday... Last couple of days, we were talking about the quarterback's coach vacancy has yet to be filled. Mike Shula's on staff. Mark Lubick's on staff. Kyle Shermer's on staff. Yeah. Maybe it's Ronald Curry. Maybe they go outside. And, hey, for all the people who are mad they didn't go outside for D-line or linebackers, you're getting a guy from the outside coming in. And, by the way, it could be a lateral move if he's just going to be the quarterback's coach. I will say, so Curry's official page at the Saints website he, like, yes. If you go to the Saints coaching page, he is listed as passing game coordinator slash quarterbacks. Okay. And under his bio, it did say he had the role of passing game coordinator added in 2022. So it's been two years that he's done that. It's been five with quarterback coach, I believe, if I'm doing my math right here. Um, and before that was with wide receiver. So he would have worked with Drew Brees a little mm-hmm. bit at the end. And then more so Jameis Winston... Um, I mean, Taysom Hill even a little bit. Derek Carr, I'm missing somebody in the middle there. Andy Dalton, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But he's done a little bit of everything in that area. I was going to ask you this, whether you know, like, how different, like, because the Bills, I know with Joe Brady, I don't think listed him as a passing game coordinator. They did with Ken Dorsey for the final year that he was quarterback's coach. Right. It was quarterback coach slash passing game coordinator. But... I guess I'm not really familiar with what that added role means, or even if it is much more, if it's just more of like a title thing. Well, it could be different things for different teams, but basically you would be really concentrating most of your stuff on game planning for the passing game. Down in distance, like when we're third and eight, like what what look what looks good against the next opponent? What have we done well? That's your basic job uh, as a coordinator, passing game coordinator. When we go to the passing concepts, when we go to passing looks and we have to, you know, move the ball down the field or, like I said, down yep. in distance, like that's what the passing game coordinator would do and bring that to the table to the offensive meetings. So you're basically giving someone something to do so that Joe Brady doesn't have it on his plate as much. And of course, Joe Brady would be involved, but that's really where that would come from. So he would fit in. You know who else he worked with? Joe Brady. Joe okay. Brady was on the Saints staff in 2017 and 18. Okay. Did not know that, so they have a working history together. So now, sense. Joe. So so Ronald Curry does indeed get hired by the Bills. It's Joe Brady, and and you know what, Joe, that says to me is Joe Brady has some influence here on who he wants to bring in, right? I mean, 
I'm not saying yeah. the Bills are going, who do you want to hire necessarily? I don't know. Maybe. But there was a guy last year, and I can't remember his name, and he's not even on the Bills' website as far as I saw. There was a guy last year the Bills brought in from the University of Buffalo after um, Dorsey had been fired, and he was like, uh, he just kind of hired as a lower level assistant. He had, had had a relationship with Brady, and they brought him in. And now Ronald Curry being brought in, relationship with Brady. So, yeah, it feels like Joe Brady is kind of having some say in here and who he needs to build his offensive staff to get to where he wants to go. What does it all mean? I don't know. I do find it interesting, though, like I said, if you're going from a lateral move in New Orleans to mm-hmm. Buffalo, that's pretty interesting, too. And then what's his role going to be? What's his influence going to be? Josh Allen, apparently, you know, from what I've read and pe- people that are out there tweeting about it, mm-hmm. like he has a very good relationship with his players. There's a play- guy that's very well respected, and he has been a coach in the in the NFL for 10 years now. Right. While also being, you know, a little bit still on the younger side, right? I mean, he's he is yeah. ten years older than Joe Brady, but he's still only forty four years old. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Brady is really that young. The Bills have the Bills have. I saw one of is it maybe are they the youngest or maybe they were one of the youngest um, quarter coordinator Second. duos in the league. Second youngest. Second youngest. Um, I think Arizona is the youngest. Okay, so you know. That was, by the way, hold on, that was, yeah. I'm going to give you the person who who tweeted this because yeah. I'll get his name. Colin, um, I forgot his last name, but it was really nice. He he did a good job on it. He he messed up the ages on one of the Bills guys, but it's okay. It's still, he was right, though. The Bills uh, are second uh, youngest coordinators uh, in the league when you're counting just uh, offense and defense. Yeah, Arizona Cardinals. Um, so I guess good for Brady, if that is true, that he would have a little bit of say um of at least some enough to make a decision like that to bring in a guy he's worked with, and I I like it. I mean I like bringing in an outside hire for that. I mean I wouldn't have been upset. It's a quarterback coach job. It's not offensive coordinator. It's not head coach. Um, I wouldn't have gone too far if they had just promoted someone inside. That would have been fine too. But bringing in this guy who I think you know. Again, I don't want to think too much about like two, three years down the road for jobs like this, but mm-hmm. I mentioned this before, the quarterback coach can often be the stepping stone to your next offensive coordinator. And, I mean, this guy's not, you know, what was Joe Brady when they brought him in as quarterback coach? That was, oh, this guy, Wonderkin, right? Like, young guy, look what he did at LSU, mm-hmm. a little bit of experience at Carolina, look how young he is. I mean, it's not the same in that regard, but... Curry's got a a resume here and uh, a background that makes me curious about his future as a coach, too. Colton Pankowitz was who originally tweeted about the uh, Bills coordinator ages. He's a sports editor uh, for Canisius and an intern at News 4. So good job on Colton a couple weeks ago uh, coming up with that stat. So that's good. The combined ages of the Bills coordinators are, I think he got Babbage's wrong by a couple years, so I think it's 74, uh, 74 for the Bills. The... Average age for the Arizona Cardinals, he wrote, writes, is 66. So you're right. The other part about that, Joe, and you're right about the ages and um, the positions and when you get you know someone coming in who might be the next person in line. I-, I think it would fit, and it seems like the Bills. Now, I don't know if this is like their straight-up philosophy, but it feels like their philosophy is get young, eager coaches in the building who really want to do such a good job that they can get promoted, right? Like, this is not a shot at all at Mike Shula, for example. Mike Shula's been the head coach at Alabama, right? If he's, yes, he wants to be a coach, he loves football, and but if he's the quarterback's coach, yeah, maybe in some world he wants to be a coordinator again in the NFL or a head coach somewhere. I get it. 
But he's an older guy who he's kind of run that course in his life already. Yeah. Whereas you bring in guys for these positions, maybe you target guys specifically who you say, these guys are going to do whatever is needed to make sure they are really successful because they're trying to climb the ladder. Yeah. I No, I, this is maybe an area that I want to start thinking about more with Sean McDermott and his just the overall job he does as the head coach that doesn't get talked about usually during the season as much. But like I, to compare him to I'm, – I'm hard on Mike Tomlin. One thing I don't like about mm-hmm. Mike Tomlin is he often brings in coaches – that don't get results that are just the guys you heard of, right? Like he brings in Arthur Smith now to be the offensive coordinator, and maybe that works because of, you know, a better uh, match in terms of skill set from what he had in Atlanta. Terrell Austin, the defensive coordinator, there have been other guys in the past where, like, Tomlin is a guy that brings in a lot of veteran coaches. Doesn't always have to go poorly. McDermott, meanwhile, I feel like. He's got. He's starting to build a little bit of a resume here of identifying up and coming coaches or guys that are unproven, and it doesn't always work. I mean, you might say it didn't work necessarily with Ken Dorsey as a first time play caller, but he identified Brian Dable, who was at the college level, who was not proven to be a great coordinator in the NFL level, and that worked out. And I think Joe Brady is another example of this, where again younger guy, try to identify, you know, an up-and-comer. Let's bring him in lower level on the staff, see if he can get more out of him eventually in a bigger role. Maybe that's what Ronald Curry is here a little bit. I think it certainly has got to be what Bobby Babich is, um, developing him as a coach along the way, too. Mm -hmm. So we often talk player development and, like, developing guys on that level. I You know, it does matter and is important, I think, for coaching staffs as well. And... Again, Dorsey, if you want to call that a failure, there are others too, but like I I've, I've been pretty okay and happy I think with the job McDermott's done in his 7 years on that front. I'm looking through Nick Underhill's Twitter. Nick by the way is going to join us here in about 15 minutes. Uh Nick does a great job. NOF Network. He uh he's covered the Saints for a long time down there. He does a really good job in New Orleans, but I didn't realize I'm scrolling through his Twitter. Doug Marone, apparently, he left their staff, too. Doug Marone was on the Saints staff for a while, but apparently Doug Marone has left the Saints staff. I didn't know this. He was what was he doing it? there? Was he the... Yeah, he was on it. He, really? Yeah, recently, right? Let's see. Uh, yeah, here we go. Wait. New Orleans Saints, 22-23 offensive line coach. He was their O-line coach. He went from Alabama to New Orleans in 21 as their O-line coach to New Orleans for the last two years. I did Straight up O-line coach. I did not know he was back in the league for two, for two years, let alone... Because he was, I know he was with New Orleans as an offensive coordinator once upon a time, wasn't he? Yeah, he was in '06 through '08. Um, that's funny. I did not know Doug Marone was back in the league. Well, I guess he's not now. He's as of as of this week, he's not. Apparently, that's he right. He was he was dismissed on uh, February third. It says, yeah, yes. So yeah, so no. This may may sound like to me then. This is one of those deals where like. Maybe because we're thinking about Curry making a lateral move here to Buffalo, it feels like, because if he's quarterback's coach, passing game coordinator, he can't be the offensive coordinator. That's already Joe Brady's job. But if that's the case, and then you have Doug Marone leaving, this might feel to me like maybe, hey, Dennis Allen, you want to keep your job? That's fine. you got to make changes on staff. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. why are these guys departing where Dennis Allen is keeping his job in New Orleans? They didn't have the greatest year. They didn't make the playoffs. This feels to me, Joe, like, 
down there, and we're going to ask Nick Underhill about it. Maybe it's, hey, Ronald, we love you, but we got to make some changes on staff because that's how I'm keeping my job. So Ronald Curry then, you know, has an opportunity to come to Buffalo and work in the same capacity. I don't know, but that's what it feels like to me here. Wait, so they're bringing in? Did they bring in a new offensive coordinator? Or they're they're going in with the the same guy again. Um, Clint Clint Kubiak, mm. right? Didn't they just promote him? Oh, that's what it is. You're right. That's they, what's they got Kubiak, here. and and that's the other thing is Kubiak then is going to be bringing in his, and that's that's, that's right, Joe. That's what I thought was. That's more what it probably is. You're right about that, and I forgot Kubiak because. They're going to probably just, he's going to bring in the guys he wants to run the system he wants to run. Right. right. Kubiak comes, and that's that okay. Shanahan Kubiak tree, right? Yes. Yes. He's, right. He's the son of, uh, it's, it's Gary. The, the son of Gary Kubiak. Um, yeah. Yes. It looks like, yeah, Pete Carmichael had been the Saints offensive yes. coordinator for 14 years, actually. Wow, that's crazy. And, and, well, through like all of Sean Payton and then after that. Um, so they're going younger at that position, and they're going for new, which I think is a big reason why you're going to see. I mean, Kubiak, Clint Kubiak comes from um, San Francisco. Like he, at least last year, he last year. I know before that it was his dad, and it was Minnesota. But last year under the Shanahan system, he was their passing game coordinator, and at you know. 36 years old. Again, the league is just getting so young with these with these coaches. It is. I, it's going to be new blood, I think, on that coaching staff. So one of the things we're going to ask Nick Underhill about, you know, what big thing we're going to want to know is like what um, you know, what did the Saints do on offense? Like what was their philosophy because obviously we've seen Joe Brady here, and we know that. But Joe, we have a lot of questions about what Joe Brady's going to want to do. He was essentially running a lot of, you know, Ken Dorsey stuff, which might have been Brian Dable stuff, and maybe that's going to stay, and it's his stuff too, and he incorporates it. But we don't really know what Joe Brady's offense is going to look like, do we? And maybe by getting Ronald Curry, we can kind of gather that Curry kind of has experience doing whatever Joe Brady wants to do, so what did that look like in New Orleans, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's super interesting because New Orleans has been a team where, I mean, look at Alvin Kamara, what they did with him over the last, since, you know, with Ronald Curry on staff there and that offense. Um, this is a Sean Payton influence, right? Ronald Curry comes here to Buffalo with that. I, I'm really interested to see that. Chris Olave and how he fit in right away in that Saints offense. I'm kind of excited about this and what this might mean. Yeah. I am still one that believes he will have a different looking offense than what we saw second half of the season. We we heard from Eric Wood yesterday, more so on the terminology, but I think you could you could attribute this to other things. Ninety five percent of the terminology is the same when you fire a coordinator mid season to the new guy, and he'll maybe call plays differently, and you'll see some changes, especially because they had a bye week. But Brady's not implementing his system, and and you know the way the personnel was designed. Might not have been the type of offense Brady would want to run at his core, you know. I, but we'll see what that looks like. I I want to take from his history before that, and think that it will look different. That what he was at LSU, what he tried to do in Carolina, despite the fact he didn't have a very good quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater, that this guy likes to try to get as many good receivers on the field as he can. And he'll implement the run game a little bit, but it's going to be secondary to having an explosive pass offense. Um, right. And they maybe just didn't have, I mean, even he could have said that. 
when he walked in and said, okay, I'm offensive coordinator now. So the thing I would want to do, we can't really do. So we're going to do this instead. Just because that's the nature of the offense that we have. I think this is kind of maybe a small example, a small piece of the puzzle to look at like the types of coaches that are going to be in underneath him. And then the big pieces of the puzzle for what Brady is going to want, I think is going to be what type of offseason they have on offense. For players. And, of course, you're still going to have quite a few fans who believe that, well, he might want to do that, but Sean McDermott won't let him. It's just not true, man. It's just not true. Yeah, like They're not going to be some ground-and-pound team because Sean McDermott came from the defensive side of the ball, and Joe Brady's going to be the puppet for that. It's just there's no evidence to support that whatsoever. The Bills have been more, one of the more pass-happy, neutral situation teams. Yep. Over the past several years. Yeah. It's just not true at all if you think that. They were only behind Kansas City over a four year stretch. And uh, so, like, they did go down. I mean, it's no, it's statistically proven or true that when Brady took over, they did run the ball more. But, you know, let's not over exaggerate it too much. If you look at what they were from week 12 and on last year and what their neutral pass rate was, again, it's a downgrade because we are used to them being first, second, or third. It's them, the Bengals, and the Chiefs all the time. So, 12th. That's what they were. Neutral pass rate from week 12 on. Week 11 on, excuse me. It's when Brady took over. They were 12th. So, it's not like they were the run-heaviest team in the league. They weren't. That was Pittsburgh last year. That was Carolina last year. Um, I think that's the floor. Right, like that. That that's also the the circumstance, right? To me, it was they knew they could not really throw the balls effectively. They couldn't get open, and they were running the ball well in these games. Like they ran for a gazillion yards against the Cowboys. I also wonder because it's a smaller set of games, how much that one Dallas game inflates, or I should almost say deflates their pass rate, Um, because. Even Joe Brady said it that week after the Cowboy game. They might have planned on running the ball more in that game, but he even said we didn't. We didn't really plan on running it that much. You know, it was right. it was not. It, they weren't stopping it, so I just started calling it every play. And you know, had their their I think more traditional game plan for what they probably were expecting in that Cowboy game gone the way it did. Yeah, I'm guessing, but it probably would. Their pass rate would maybe be in the top ten then from Joe Brady's time. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that if Joe Brady, his philosophy is, I mean, look, Sean McDermott was asked, I asked him a few weeks ago, this straight-up question. said there's a thought amongst fans because you are a defensive coach, defensive-minded, that you're, that's your philosophy and you want to rein it in and dial it back. And he said, I believe in pass-first throw to win. And you can take him at his word. If not, I'm just telling you what the data shows, which that is what the Bills have been. You, Maybe not in this the yeah. last, you know, several games of the year. I understand that. I think they also were running the ball better and could not throw the ball that effectively. Here, here's as efficiently, as effectively as they had been. Kind of on the same subject. I just want to throw this in because I just discovered something by looking at this, just the Brady timeline. Week 11 and on in the NFL season and how often teams were throwing the football. We'll often talk about how the Bills went down. And by the way, I was wrong. It wasn't 12th. They were 14th. 14th in pass rate when Brady took over. And I'm scrolling down the list a little bit, scrolling down the list a little bit, because I've never scrolled past the Bills. There's Miami sitting there at 26th. 26th. Where? Wow. where? I'm going I'm to start. I need to start mentioning that. That, hey, wait a minute. 
that team who was leading the league in passing, that's what run heavy really looks like. 14th is a downgrade. 26th is you've changed your identity. And Miami's the team in the division that did that, not the Bills. That's interesting. Interesting stuff there. We're going to get with Nick Underhill after this because an interesting hire for the Bills reportedly Ronald Curry. Yes, that Ronald Curry, if you remember him from basketball and football back at North Carolina in the early 2000s, late 1990s, early 2000s. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back here. It's the Extra Point Show. 11 o'clock, John Harris from Houston, Texan sideline reporter. He uh, he was at the Senior Bowl. He's all over all the prospects. We'll get with him. Paul Hamilton at 1130. A loaded Extra Point Show for you today on a Wednesday. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. 6'2", 200-pound guard. What an unbelievable parade. High, high school, first-team All-American football, basketball, McDonald's All-American. A great student as well. Recipient of the McDonald's Player of the Year. There he is with the reverse jam. Oh, how about that? Back in the Wayback Machine. That's Dick Vitale, isn't it? Is that Dick Vitale announcing that slam dunk contest? McDonald's All-American game it is i think it is it's got it sounds like dick vitale that's ronald curry that's what joe 898 you said was that 98 the slam dunk contest mcdonald's slam dunk contest 97 or 98 one of them that's when he came out of high school one of the greatest um two sport athletes all-around athletes of my generation i know that ronald curry now it's come full circle for him in his playing and coaching career and he's reportedly taking the job with the buffalo a job with the buffalo bills on their offensive staff it has not been confirmed by the bills Aaron Wilson has reported it. Nick Underhill also on top of it. Nick joins us right now on the West Her Hotline. You can find Nick on Twitter. Does a great job covering the Saints. He has for a long time at Nick underscore uh, Underhill, and he is of NOF Network. Nick, it's Sal. It's Joe here in Buffalo. Super short notice for you this morning. I appreciate you joining us. Yeah, all good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got it. All right, so um, we're just kind of curious about Ronald Curry, the coach. I remember him as a player growing up as a high school guy, a star. He goes to Carolina, Spurs, Virginia. They're all mad about it. And now he's been in the league, I didn't realize, 10 years as an NFL coach at various uh, positions, I guess, you know, San Francisco and New Orleans, those two teams. 
Um, what kind of a coach is he? What kind of, um, you know, what have you learned about him and from him over the time covering the Saints? Yeah, I mean, well, you guys just played the, the clip there. I mean, I think the fact that he was like one of the greatest high school athletes of his generation kind of adds some credence to his ability to coach. And players kind of, you know, they know who he is. And if they don't know who he is when they find out who he is, you know, it, it just kind of hits a little bit different. I mean, men played basketball at North Carolina, played, you know, quarterback at North Carolina, like an, an incredible athlete. Um, and his players love him. I mean, he, he just kind of commands respect. He isn't like a, a loud rah-rah guy, but he, he just kind of, you know, goes about his business. Um, you know, I, I heard he's taking the quarterback's uh, job with you guys up there okay. in uh, Buffalo. Um, you know, they offered him the wide receiver's job here. He was the quarterback's coach, passing game coordinator here the last couple seasons. They're bringing in uh, Clint Kubiak to be the offensive coordinator. And, you know, obviously he kind of wants to bring in his own guys. And, you know, I think – his brother was the QB's coach in San Francisco, so I wouldn't be shocked to see if it's kind of the same situation there. But he was definitely in the mix to be the OC here, too. He, he was high up on their list of candidates. Um, you know, I think they had a preference for getting the Shanahan offense here, and when that kind of hit with Kubiak, you know, Curry kind of fell out of out of the race for that job. But he was definitely one of the last two or three guys. It was him. Uh, you know, I think they like Luke Getze a lot, and, and mm-hmm. you know, it just kind of fell that way. So, um he's really good coach man uh michael thomas had his best season playing under under him uh you know as a wide receiver coach um you know mike was talking about him just recently just about how good he is and and how much he would have liked having him back in that wide receivers room but you know obviously i think that would be a step backwards for curry he has aspirations to be an oc one day head coach one day and you know i I think it would have just been uh counterintuitive for him to stick around yeah i I, i'm not surprised he would rather have you know the, the passing game title and quarterback coach over that receiver job, but I almost want to think that him being offered a job in an offensive staff by an incoming coordinator in general, maybe I don't have to read into that too much, but usually, Nick, you know how this works. Like, a new coach comes in and usually you get sometimes a whole new staff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody's gone. So, I mean, the only guy that, that survived is the, the tight ends coach, and that's just so far, but he coached with uh, Kubiak and Denver, so there was a tie there. So, yeah, it, it's usually you know, entirely a whole entire new set of people. You want your people on that staff. And, you know, Curry, Curry is highly respected. Like, he's interviewed for a lot of offensive coordinator jobs. And it's a matter of time before it happens. And, you know, I, I think just kind of the way things went here last year, they had Pete Carmichael Jr. as, as the OC. And just kind of the way they, they called plays and that, I think it was just kind of time for a reset, maybe time to step away from the whole entire Sean Payton era and, when they did that, I mean, everybody kind of goes. Curry would have been the last remaining guy uh, from that staff on the offensive side if he had stuck around. So it it, it does kind of, you know, it, it speaks volumes, I think, about, you know, the, the coach that Curry is. But, you know, if I'm him, there's no way I can take that job. Like, they hired somebody over me to be the OC. And then, you know, going from QBs to wide receiver, it is just kind of – it's kind of working backwards a little bit. So I, I get it from his point of view. I think it's a, a better decision for him to uh, – to go to Buffalo, I mean, Buffalo's trending in the right direction. The Saints could be trending the wrong direction unless Kubiak kind of revives this thing. So I, I think it's a smart move for him career-wise. Just, you know, I think it's a good opportunity for him to get out of here and maybe, you know, go somewhere else, show what he can do, and, and you know, kind of maybe fast-track it a little bit instead of maybe getting stuck in the mud down here. And Joe Brady was part of that staff a few years ago, so he's got a relationship with Joe Brady as well. Um, but what about the Sean Payton influence? You know, how much has Sean Payton's influence been on that staff overall, on these guys? You know, what are we going to see here in Buffalo? I'm not saying that they're going to revamp the entire offense necessarily, but obviously Joe now brings with him some influences, some guys that know what he wants to do. How much of that influence was still from Sean Payton in New Orleans? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a, a ton of it. I mean, that, that's how he came up. And, you know, Sean's attention to detail and just, like, the maniacal preparation and all that stuff kind of still lives on. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it doesn't look great right now because they haven't been a great offense the last couple of years. But, I mean, if you go through the list of quarterbacks that, that Curry's worked with, you know, since he moved into that role, it's not a star-studded cast, you know. And I, I think they kind of did the best they could with the, the guys they had, like, Andy Dalton, you know, almost got him there. Jameis Winston had a bit of a resurgence until the injuries kind of cut him down a little bit. Um, you know, last year was kind of weird with, with Derek Carr. It was just, I don't know, it was just it was just off for, for a while. And I, I don't think that has anything to do with the coaching. I think it was just like a, a chemistry issue that they didn't figure out until the last five or six weeks of the season. But, you know, Trevor Simeon, um, you know, there's just a lot of guys that, that they made look kind of passable. I mean, they almost turned Taysom Hill into, into an adequate quarterback, like, you know, they didn't quite get there, but I think they got a lot further than anybody would have ever expected him to get. You look at, like, what he was doing at BYU to, to when he was starting here, and, I mean, it, it's a night and day difference, and a lot of that uh, influences there. And then, you know, I mentioned the, 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 the wide receivers. When he was in that role, I mean, everybody w- was developing, getting better. Um, you know, like I said, Mike Thomas had his best season. Uh, you know, he, he did a lot of good work at that at that position. So, I mean, I do think he is he's, – he's a good coach, and, I mean, I think – you know, there's going to be opportunities beyond this one for him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think players definitely love him. And, like I said, he speaks from a place that just it, – it's, it's uh, you know, informed. Like, he, he was a superstar at, at one point. So, he kind of knows what goes into it. So, people tend to buy into what he's saying. And it's tough to coach superstars sometimes, right? I mean, like, I mean, you go from and, – and obviously, Drew Brees was there, right? But now you have Josh Allen. You're walking in, you're – you're coaching Josh Allen, but Nick, you know, you're a sportsman. You see, it's tough to do that sometimes. You know, LeBron has to have a coach and Michael Jordan has to have a coach. You know, he's got to develop a relationship with Josh Allen, but I would think here that Joe Brady would feel very comfortable about that if he's going to hire him, obviously. Yeah. And, and, you know, RC's a very, like, he's a very relatable person, too. Like, I, I think he just knows how to talk to people and he's incredibly right. smart, too. I mean, I, I think he's going to go into that room and, and command respect pretty quickly. And, you know, I, I don't know anything really about Josh, but like, if 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 you aren't getting along with RC, like, there's probably something wrong with you. Like, he's just kind of one of them guys that, that people really like. So, I I don't see that being an, an issue. I think he'll be fine in that mm-hmm. capacity. And yeah, I mean, if, if if Joe Brady's vouching for him, I'm sure, uh, you know, he's seen the, the work behind the scenes. He knows he's the guy, and uh, I don't expect that to be an issue for him. We were just looking over the the Saints moves, and now that Kubiak's going to be the OC. Our old friend Doug Marone, he's also not going to be back. Joe said he didn't even realize Doug Marone was still in the I, league. And I said, I yeah, I mean, yeah. Two, last two years he's been there going from Alabama. So what is happening now with the Saints staff? And is this what is this a case simply now, Nick, of, okay, Dennis Allen, you got to make changes because you're keeping your job, but we got to make changes? Or is it, hey, we're bringing in an OC, we're going to let him evaluate, and these are the guys he wants to bring in, so sorry, we don't have room for you. Yeah, it's kind of a weird situation down here. I mean, it, it, it almost feels like – and they won nine games, so it's kind of like it, it's weird to talk about them in this, like, critical condition. But, like, it, it was a bad nine. Like, it wasn't it wasn't a good nine. Like, the, the nine felt terrible, and they kind of got hot at the end of the season to save it. Um, you know, the locker room kind of felt like it was going to fracture a little bit at, at one point, and then they figured out how to win a, a few games in a row, and it kind of healed itself a little bit. But it's um it, it's it's weird. I mean, it's – there's almost like a defiance in, in trying to make this work from the, the front office uh, going on down. Like, you know, they, they, they believe strongly in Dennis Allen. They believe strongly in Derek Carr. Um, you know, somebody on the outside watching them, like, I, I don't know that I share those same feelings across mm-hmm. the board. But, you know, I think their defense is still really good. But 
the offense um, has been terrible since since uh, Peyton left. So, you know, it, it's a needed change. Um, hopefully Kubiak is the guy that can kind of get him back on track. You know, it's the right system. But, I mean, obviously the way Kyle Shanahan calls the plays has a, has a lot to do with it. And it's kind of the thing that makes that special. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of like an interesting crossroads for him. But I do think, you know, if they get off to a bad start next year, like everybody's everybody's probably gone. You know, I, mm-hmm. the seat's definitely very hot here. And um, they got to they got to – they got to be better than than nine wins. I mean, it's just it, it was it was about as bad of a nine as, as you could imagine. Their schedule was super soft. Uh, every time they played a decent team, the quarterback was hurt for the other team. So like they kind of limped their way to nine. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it feels like it should be a critical juncture, but at the same time, like the messaging from the the team doesn't sound critical at all. So. It's just kind of a weird place to uh, evaluate a team from. Yeah, you maybe kind of answered this already then, because I was going to say, like, I was not very impressed by Carr last year, and th- I know he is a monster cap hit next year, and that this year you couldn't have got out of it anyway. So, r- I mean, right to think, like, as much as the coaches are on the hot seat, that if they don't have a year, he's probably done there as the quarterback? Yeah, I mean, they're probably going to restructure that, that contract, but, I mean, the way they manage the cap, it's just – it's hard to explain to anyone because, like, they just – they do it every year, and it's just, like, they clear the 80, 90 million. They don't care about dead money. They kind of view it as a whole. Like, everyone will be like, you know, this they can't, they're stuck with this player because, you know, he's 20 million in dead money. Like, they don't care about the, the 20 million. Like, they're just – they'll cut him and move a different 20 million into the future, and that's just kind of what they do with it. So, yeah, I mean, I think he has a $30 million base salary. I think you can probably place a strong bet on that thing getting restructured sometime in the near future, but – Look, I think if they fail and everybody's out of here, like the next person probably might not want Derek Carr. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they caught him and, and find a way to, to figure it out. But um, I, I just thought, I don't know where this thing's heading, honestly. I mean, right. it, it was it was weird with him last year. It was it was a underwhelming season for much of the year. And then, like I said, like the last five or six weeks of the season, like they kind of figured something out and he looked a lot better. I think it was 12 touchdowns, one interception. Uh, the numbers got better. But they were playing NFC South teams, and the NFC South was kind of a joke overall. So, I mean, I think there's a lot to prove. Um, The thing with him, too, is you go through his career, like, he changed coordinators a lot. The first year with the new coordinator, every single time, he was terrible. And then the second year was like, okay, like, it got a little bit better. So, they don't have a lot of time here, so they need to to buck that trend if they want to fix it. But, I mean... If they're if they're bad, I think I think everyone could be gone, including him. And you know, I I don't I don't think that the the cap hit would be an impediment for them to to get rid of him because they kind of look at it like the money's gone anyhow. I'm glad you brought up the NFC South. I was going to go there next with you because you've followed this division, you've covered this division. It's not a very good division. It seems like it's up for grabs every year on who could be the best of the worst, essentially. But what do you think about the new hires? Raheem Morris in Atlanta, Dave Canales in Carolina, and of course, you know, winning the division in Tampa for their nice run at the end of the year. But New Orleans, of course, right there in the mix. Yeah, I like the hire for for Carolina. I mean, I think if anyone's going to be able to figure it out with Bryce Young, I think it's it's you know him. He, he got Geno Smith on track. Baker had his best season uh, with him. Uh, Bryce Young, I mean, I only saw him the two times, so I might be you know it might just be small sample bias. But even looking at the numbers, like I, I was I was a little bit shocked by how hard things looked for him last year. But maybe they find mm-hmm. a way to figure that out. Um, you know, Raheem, we'll, we'll see that. Like Atlanta feels close. Like if they can figure out quarterback, I think they got the best roster you know two through 53 but you got to get that number one guy and if they figure that out they might be the 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 team to beat um if the saints can get out of their own way i mean i think they still have a decent enough team to win the uh the division but 
yeah, it's definitely up for grabs across the board. And, and it's like that way every year, like you said. I mean, it, it just kind of feels like everyone's just very mediocre and whatever team kind of figures it out can get in there and, and maybe make some noise. Because uh, the, the NFC as a whole, it was kind of pretty soft <laughs> this year overall, except for San Francisco. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, you definitely have a chance, you know, coming out of there. But, yeah, it, it, it's not it's not very intimidating any way you look. And I bet every single team right now is sitting there looking at it the same way. Like, a couple things go right, they can win the division. Who you like Sunday? Uh, Got to go, Mahomes. Got to go with the, uh, the best yeah. player on the field for sure. Yeah, I'm leaning that way. We don't love it here, though. We hate it. We're like hate watching the game here because you know after after losing to Mahomes and the Chiefs again, we did the same thing in the AFC Championship game, Nick. Like, I think most Bills fans were rooting for Baltimore, but at the same time, didn't want Lamar to get one before Josh anyway. Although it's not nothing against Lamar, it's just our guy hasn't been there yet. So this is a tough watch for us. Let me ask you something. Do you guys ever talk about how the Bills gave Kansas City Mahomes? Not as often as you'd think. I think if (laughs) I'll say this. It doesn't come up that often, and it's like that might be Josh Allen's greatest accomplishment because if he had not become what he's become, it would be every day here for like ten yeah, years. That's I'm a good sure. point. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and of course they did, right? Nobody's ever going to shy away from that. They did give him them, but let's remember. They drafted Travis White, became a great, you know, cornerback, but they did it because they wanted their quarterback next year and the following year they get Josh and they get Tremaine Edmonds. But you're right, it was their pick and they're always going to be tied in <laughs> to it. And there's been a lot of things written about it. And it's been known, it's been said that even like the owner really liked Mahomes, but the team just wasn't ready in Sean McDermott's first year to pick a quarterback right away. Luckily, they got it right the next year, though, like Joe said. Next time, so, just yeah, trade to the NFC. Next time, just trade to the NFC. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Like Minnesota <laughs> or something. <laughs> I know, exactly right. Hey, uh, Nick, thanks for doing this on short, short, short notice. Next year, by the way, Super Bowl back in New Orleans, right? I mean, you guys got the game next year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, hopefully they're uh, they're ready for it and it's not flooding and the power stays on and all that stuff. So, uh, But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely <laughs> always a good time down here for sure. Thanks for joining us, Nick. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, take it easy, guys. All right, you got it. Nick Underhill right there. He does a great job covering the Saints at Nick underscore Underhill. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back. John Harris. I mean, we got NFC South. We got AFC South. But John, actually, our guy from the Houston Texans sideline reporter, but he was at the Senior Bowl, and John does a great job on prospects. So that's, and we're going to go from talking about Bryce Young to C.J. Stroud, right? I mean, that's really interesting because obviously the year that he had, we'll do that. We'll touch on C.J. Stroud, the Texans, the Bills do play them next year, but we'll talk about the prospects, especially wide receivers with um, John Harris coming up here at the top of the hour. We'll be right back after this timeout, though, on WGR before that. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. John Harris coming up after the top of the hour. Joe, a report from Josina Anderson. Former Bills and Jets head coach Rex Ryan apparently interviewed for the vacant Dallas Cowboys coordinator job. Defensive coordinator. That would be hilarious. Why? If Rex Ryan's just back. Why would it be hilarious? 
in know, Dallas just... with Mike McCarthy, maybe that, right? I don't think I'd expect that to go very well. Do you think, well. why do you think he's, you, okay, okay, I, I'm, I'm interested in this because I wonder if he could, I, I think he's, like Eric Wood will tell you, like Rex knows ball, like he'll say that, Rex, mm-hmm. he knows defense, he knows football. Mm-hmm. He's not a good head coach because he's super unorganized in that regard, right? Like, eh, just want to kind of get my buddy's jobs and you can do that. But he knows defense. Could he still do it? I would question whether he has got the insight after Mm -hmm. eight years out of the league that he's got any clue what the McDaniel, Kyle right. Shanahan, McVeighs of the world are, are doing. I yeah. maybe I'm maybe I'm overstating that, but I really I feel like the game has had to have evolved in a in a, cr- a crazy degree since he's last coach. I'm not saying he doesn't know football. I'm just wondering right. whether I you know he can he can just overcome. You can he, can he learn eight years of can he make that up w- w- that quickly? I would question that. Well, apparently, so he must want to get back in the league, and you know, there he's he interviewed for the Cowboys, according to Josina Anderson. I agree with you. There'd be a question. I wouldn't completely dismiss it, though. I do think he's a really good defensive mind. the The issue, though, in being around Rex and talking with him and players, he was he has so much. Like, he tries to do so much on defense, and you can't do that these days. That would be the issue of related to what you're saying, Joe. There's so much that offenses do now. That I think Rex his his defense would not be able to succeed in today's NFL because there's so much he puts on his players. Remember when he was here in Buffalo, even it was already moving to they they just can't think fast enough because they're trying to do so much. And I think that would be the issue holding him back. He'd have to really simplify a lot of what he does. But the charm of the Rex Ryan defense of the early 2000s was they did so much themselves on defense. You never knew what was happening. You can't do that now in the NFL. You can't do that against offenses who basically have all these guys playing different positions and flexing out and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah. He can't do worse than they did in the playoff game, though. Say that. That's right. 48 With points. Dan Quinn, right? Who then was hired to be the head coach of a division rival. Yeah. Also, I mean... I wonder how well maybe this would be good for Rex. Thinking about him with Micah Parsons because he yeah. tries to blitz in very creative ways. Yes. Dallas has been a very good four-man rush team. And if you remember like the way he would try to use Mario Williams at the end, like it's just it wasn't going to work. I don't know at that point in his career right. especially just yeah. it wasn't going to happen and he obviously didn't want to do it either. Parsons though is such an incredible athlete. Like I, from Rex's perspective, I could see why he would want to do that because imagine like he's got to be thinking like all the ways he could use Parsons where you could drop him back into coverage if you need, you could blitz him up the middle, you could rush him from the edge, you could rush him on the guard. Like you could just put him anywhere you want and it's probably going to go really well. And they have very aggressive corners too. Um so I don't know. Okay, maybe I shouldn't assume it would go poorly. I still would bet against though. I would bet against it working out for him if if he ends up there. All right, we'll take a timeout. John Harris on the way next, Texan sideline reporter. John Harris, also of the NFL prospects. Uh, he's got books out and databases and all that. We're going to talk with him about the wide receivers and, of course, the Texans. When we come back in WGR. You're listening to the Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Sneaky Joe DiBiase on WGR Sports Radio 550. 
I, I can definitely sense it. I, I, I never felt like that because I've never been like that in my entire life. But you take uh, some pride in it to know that everybody doesn't like you. And it's not for anything you've really done. It's just for winning. So if that means some of the other teams and other fan bases aren't going to like me, I'll try to still have a smile on my face and not be a bad example. But I can be that villain for them if they, if they need me to be. Okay, so that's Patrick Mahomes. He was kind of being asked about being a little bit like the villain now and people rooting against him, which we certainly are here in Buffalo. There's no doubt about that. And he was, he even said something about like how Brady was kind of that guy. And, you know, he, he wants to put it, be, he wants to be a little bit more like to put a different spin on it, something like that. But he's now a little bit fully embracing that. And yes, I think a lot of people do consider him, you know, the villain here. Um, he is, I think, Joe, there's, there's a lot, you know, people love Patrick Mahomes, right? But at the same time, I think more and more of the country is kind of getting a little bit tired of him and seeing him there, or maybe just his personality. I don't know, but it seems like that's wearing off a little bit. Might be more in the AFC than NFC, yeah. though, I wonder. Is it just the teams that are continually getting, you know, blocked from getting their shot at winning it all because he's got to go every year? Other than maybe the Bengals. But even they would have the rivalry. So, like, if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a Seahawks fan, you know, like, do I do I get tired of Mahomes? Maybe I don't know how that works because the only two times this has happened in my lifetime, it's Mahomes and it's Brady, and both times they beat the Bills every single year. So I, it's hard to have an unbiased take on it because I've never had a guy on the other side look do this. The NFC sell, I think it's 18 different quarterbacks in the last 20 years. And in the AFC, it's six. Jeez. It's amazing. And now there are some other really great young ones we see coming up in the AFC, including C.J. Stroud in Houston. And what he did last year and joining us on the Western Hotline right now, our guy, John Harris, the sideline reporter for the Houston Texans. He was at the Senior Bowl. He's all over prospects. And, of course, he covers the uh, Houston Texans and got to see C.J. up close and personal. What's going on, brother? Glad to have you today. It's Sal and Joe here in Buffalo. Absolutely, boys. Good to join you. And yes, I hate Patrick Mahomes too. All right, there you go. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, you got a pretty good guy there, though. Now, man, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty amazing to see what he has become, especially in a year where, let's face it, he could have gone to Carolina. That seems like they made a mistake. They take Bryce Young. The Texans get C.J. Stroud. But why did it go so well so quickly for him, John? You know, Sal, I've been asked this question so many times, and, I mean, it's it's almost a cop-out, but in a sense, he's just a special guy in every way. You're off the field, he's a great leader. I mean, you know, I think it was probably week three or week four where he's given the speech. You know, I, I you know watch all the mic ups and everything. I've seen Josh, you know, do that for the Bills where he walks in after his TV interview and he walks to the front of the room and it gets quiet and he's the one talking and leading that team. You know, CJ became that guy in week, like, four or five. It was incredible to watch, um, you know, how he just took over as the guy everybody was following. And, you know, this team had some young pieces, there's no question. And a lot of the, the core pieces are younger guys. But everybody looked to what he was doing. Um, all the, the veterans, Laramie Tunsil was like, I'll follow seven. And I think we all got to that point, like, we'll follow seven. I mean, he's, he's confident, yet not cocky. Um, he knows how good he is and knows how good he can be. He played, I don't say, and he even said this, he didn't play this season with a, with a chip on his shoulder, but he definitely played as if he was trying to prove a point that, hey, y'all missed it on me. Um, you know, when the S2 test conversation comes up, he's just <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Um, but I know, in fact, I talked at the Senior Bowl. 
um, I know that there were there were GMs that had um, relatively high picks that were scared off by that S2 test. And the thing is, is when you watch this guy work in practice and you watch this guy just work during a game, and then you try and correlate that, like that just doesn't make sense because he's making the smart throw every single time. He knows exactly what to do with the ball every single time he's got it. Um, and from week three on, I mean, he put us and got us in every game. Now, there were some veterans that played probably above their head a little bit. There were some rookies like Will Anderson Jr. who traded up for and Tank Dell uh, that really are going to be core pieces. Um, and then Derek Stingley was finally able to stay healthy. It didn't look like it for a while. We finally got him back in like week 11. And it was like, whoa, this is the Derek Stingley Jr. we thought we were going to get. So it was a good, it was good uh, molding of young with veterans led by D'Amico Ryans. And, you know, D'Amico, as much as CJ did, you know, yeoman's work, he will turn and say D'Amico Ryans is the reason that this organization is where it is. Nick Casario has done a great job in the front office. You know, the Deshaun Watson trade, drafting CJ, moving up to get Will. D'Amico Ryans has set the tone. There's a positive vibe in this town. Again, the fans in Houston love D'Amico from his time as a player. They love him even more as a coach. And I spent a lot of time with him, halftime interviews, you know, our coach's show on Monday, and I don't know that I've ever seen that guy not have a smile on his face. Um, and he's just – no matter what. And I, and I love that. And I think the team feeds off of that. So it's been a combination of a lot of different things. But when we were looking at the AFC last year and you look at all these quarterbacks, you're like, man, well, we need one. Well, in a short time, we got one. Um, and hopefully we've got one of the better ones in the league that's going to put us, you know, in a position to play these big games against you guys, against Baltimore, against Kansas City, and play in these games – and, and not only just be, you know, a participant in the game, but to be in the game uh, and make that a must-see five-star matchup, as the Steelers used to say. The five-star matchup because we're in it, and hopefully that's what it's going to be for us in due time. John Harris joining us on the Western Hotline. The pieces around him, interesting, and including coaching staff. So Sloak returns. Uh, D'Amico Ryans does a great job, obviously, with that group. Uh, it's really nice to get that, right? When you have this success, a lot of times guys leave. Sloak was up for some jobs. That's really going to help CJ as well. As you know, that, that continuity and that piece is going to help the Houston Texans. Oh, I was at the Senior Bowl sweating out. Um, I've known Gerard Johnson for a long time. And, you know, he got in, he became the quarterback's coach and, he was, you know, with CJ for a long time. I mean, they've known each other since CJ was 16. He coached him at the Elite 11. You know, Gerard is well-respected in this town as well. And so there was talk about Gerard. You know, was he going to take another job? Was he going to go to the Saints? He was at second interview with a number of different teams. And he was such a part of CJ's development. Um, and then you had, obviously, Bobby Slowick and, and what Bobby meant um, and what they meant to each other. And, you know, Bobby's obviously flirting with head coaching jobs. And then when I'm at the Senior Bowl, to the day that D'Amico Ryans was hired, it was the exact same day one year later, I'm down in the field and I'm like, oh, Bobby and Gerard are both staying. So the ecosystem, so to speak, around CJ stays. And, and you guys know it as much as, as I do. The continuity around a young quarterback is massive. Absolutely massive. You know, we talked about Mahomes earlier. Nobody likes him. But think about what Mahomes, you know, he obviously, you know, had the Matt Nagy thing. You know, Nagy had to go and come back and, you know, that kind of thing. But for the most part, they kept things around. You know, Andy Reid, the personnel for the most part, uh, minus Tyreek, they kept it pretty similar around Patrick Mahomes. And I think that helped his development. And when you think about a guy like Alex Smith, Alex Smith is drafted number one overall the 49ers. He had five offensive coordinators in five years. I mean, you don't get anything done at that point. Now, 
his coordinator the fifth or sixth year ended up being and coach ended up being Jim Harbaugh. And also now Smith started to turn the corner, became a Pro Bowl quarterback. Is that going to happen for Justin Herbert where he takes another step? That's a different story for a different day. But the coaching continuity staying around CJ is going to be good. His receivers, Tank and Nico, are both under under well, Tank's mm-hmm. under his rookie contract. Nico is in his last year of contract, and I think he's going to get extended at some point. But we got to a point where those guys became better with better coaching. CJ took his game to a different level with good to great and consistent coaching, and it's just a lesson, you know, around the league. Like, hey, continuity is a good thing now. You can also, at some point, as you guys learned, you can also need a kick in the ass. You can also, like, hey, man, we need a change. We don't know what it is. We're not totally sure. But, hey, maybe a change can help. You get you get kind of mired in that. And so, you know, as we go into year two, it's great because continuity is going to breed success, hopefully. But, you know, if we start kind of struggling a little bit, you know, hey, is there going to need to be a new voice that comes in and just offers some new ideas to the ways we're doing things? But right now, Compared to what we've had the last three or four years, I'll take the continuity. Um, mm-hmm. I'll take the continuity. I mean, I was in the Senior Bowl. Right. Mobile, I saw Nick Casario the first two days. Well, the first three years that Nick had a job, he was running a coaching search the entire Senior Bowl. He could never go. And so he's finally, <laughs> you know, at the Senior Bowl for the first time in four years. And I was joking with him. I was like, hey, you don't have a coach to hire? And he was like, no, nah, not, not this time. And I think that's going to be the best thing for for us going forward. But keeping Bobby and Gerard – uh, as our offense coordinator, quarterbacks coach, respectively, was huge for us. I mean, they still managed to get some nice picks, even not in the first. I mean, the two receivers you mentioned, Tank Dell and Nico Collins. I mean, they're both third round picks, day two guys. Yeah. yeah. I, if you for a second on Collins, he had big numbers this year. I feel like his star power is not really, it's not there yet in league circles, or at least for the casual fan. Um, you think that's going to change because? I, I've a lot of the smart guys that like chart like success rate or whatnot for for guys on routes. Like Collins was one of the better, even number one receivers. It seemed like last year. You know, I feel like especially for receivers, maybe I'm off base on this, but I, I feel like you have to go through a full football cycle for people to truly understand like how good, especially a receiver is. And I feel like. Nico. I mean, I was a big fan of Nico's when he was at Michigan, but it, you know, he didn't play in the 2020 season at Michigan because he had opted, he had opted out, and then the Big Ten said they were going to play. Well, he was knee deep in draft prep, and he's like, "Well, do I go back or not?" And he decided not to, so he had to shake off some rust as a rookie. Then last year, you know, he's got three or four different quarterbacks uh, throwing to him that you know, probably shouldn't be throwing to him, and all of a sudden he gets CJ this year. But Nico also turned a corner because he became great after the catch. Now, I know everybody saw the long ball against the Colts you know, on that Saturday night and showed he's got the deep speed, but he became an absolute monster after the catch. You threw him the football, and it turned into a, he turned into a running back that was really difficult to tackle, um, and he showed all those skills. I think it's just time. I think once we get to the summer and we start thinking about you know, fantasy, you know, team, what about you? Oh, I'm going to get Nico Collins. He's playing with C.J. Stroud. I think there's going to be more talk about Nico Mm-hmm. as we go forward. But here's the other thing with Nico. He doesn't say a thing. Like, Nico is the sweetest sweetheart you've ever met. Like, he's a killer on the field. And sometimes I feel like he has to go to a different mentality than what he is because off the field, he's just sweet as can be. Like, always with a smile, doesn't say really a whole lot. 
um, just kind of goes about his business. But on the field, he's gotten to where he kind of turns into a different dude. Um, and that's great. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I, don't, I don't mind. Like, Luke Keekley was that way. Off the field, Luke Keekley was the best dude you ever met. On the field, he was a killer. And that's kind of the way Nico is. I think you give Nico this summer where people start thinking about fancy football and who they're going to draft for their team. And, oh, yeah, Nico Collins is my guy. You know, that's the guy that put up a lot of numbers. I think you're going to hear his name a whole lot more. He just doesn't draw attention to himself a lot. You know, there are some younger receivers that like to do that. They like to talk. They like their podcast. And Nico's not like that. Nico just goes out and balls, and he, and he loves doing it. And he started embarrassing some guys this year, um, whether it was deep balls, whether it was, you know, right after the catch. He's going to be a stud with C.J. Stroud. But we got Tank on the other side. So we've got this kind of big little thing. But, man, they can hurt you in both the same ways. You know, deep balls, run after catch, reverses, screens, you know, all those kind of things. They both can do it. And one's 6'4", 220, and the other is 5'8", 160. I think Max is bigger than him, Sal. So, you know, you've got, you know, two receivers that can do multiple things. You know, I think we're looking for a third kind of in-between guy, maybe a younger guy that can develop. We definitely have a dynamic duo going with C.J. Stroud for sure, led by Nico Collins. All right, well, the Bills are looking for receivers as well, John. You can go follow John on Twitter, at Football. He's owner of footballtakeover.com. Senior Bowl, a lot of prospects coming out. This is a good receiver class. The Bills have to you know, get more explosive players. Even their front office said this. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott said explosive plays. That leads to explosive players. So we're looking at probably a wide receiver or two maybe in this draft. When you look at this draft class, I know a lot of people have, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a no-brainer number one. We've spoken to a couple who say they like Malik Neighbors even a little bit more than that. But when you go down four or five deep, who are the guys you really like that could add explosive playmaking to the Bills' offense? Well, I'm going to say this, and I'll say it, and I've said it already in Houston. I've said it in other places. I've done interviews. I think this class can be historic. It is so incredibly deep at wide receiver. It's unbelievable. I love this wide receiver group. And the thing is, I I mean, I'm a big fan of Marvin Harrison Jr. And as long as he doesn't end up with the Colts, I'm okay. And the Colts had enough success, I don't think he's going to end up with the Colts. So that's good. We don't have to live that nightmare again in Houston uh, of Marvin Harrison, of Marvin Harrison being in uh, our division, the AFC South. So we don't have to live that nightmare, I don't think, as long as he's not with Indianapolis. But – Beyond Marvin Harrison, Malik Neighbors, here's the thing about this draft class to me that's really interesting. It's almost like, okay, what you looking for? Are you looking for, you know, the speedy kind of slot type that can, you know, run slot fades? I mean, the slot fade at LSU was an absolute guaranteed money contract from Malik Neighbors. Against Mississippi State, and I, I broke this down, I did it from the Jaden Daniels angle, but – he threw the slot fade to Malik Neighbors probably four times, and Mississippi State was like, I don't know. Are they going to run that again? Oh, yeah. He did it four times for, like, four big chunk plays to Malik Neighbors. So you want the slide can play outside, you know, six-foot, 195-pound guy that is an absolute deep threat. That's Malik Neighbors. He can be that for you. You want to create explosive plays? Malik Neighbors can, can definitely do that. But I think you can do that with guys even in later rounds of this draft, too. So if you don't want to go – with Malik Neighbors early in the draft. You can go later in the draft. Roman Wilson, Michigan, kind of a similar-sized guy, a little bit smaller. You could go to Roman Wilson from Michigan. He'll create explosive plays. He's going to run the 4-3 range at the combine, no, no doubt. Lad McConkey from Georgia. I know when people see him, they're going to go, wait, he runs 4-3? Yeah, he runs 4-3. He can absolutely fly. Now, he'll give you a little bit more of the slot routes and things inside. 
but he will also create explosive plays because of that speed, and I think he can do it after the catch, too. You get him something short, he can shake a tackle, and he can turn that into a 50-60 yard gain. He can take a slant route, and he can burn everybody. Lab McConkie from Georgia, I think it's fantastic. You have kind of a, you know, Khalil Shakir, but if you wanted kind of a little bit more explosive Khalil Shakir, you can look at Ricky Pearsall from out of Florida. Glue mm-hmm. sticks for hands, six foot, 200, creates instant separation, probably going to run the four for a range, tough, versatile. You can play him all over the field, uh, runs tremendous routes. And then, of course, you've got the big guys at the top. you got Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, 6'4", 200, 205, whatever he is. And obviously, he's not going to get to where you guys are drafted. Roma Dunze, I love, absolutely love Rome Adunze. I copped him to a faster C.D. Lamb uh, from the Cowboys. And getting a chance to see him up close to a national championship game was great. Keon Coleman uh, is a 50-50 stud. You put the ball in the air, Keon Coleman's going to go get it. And then this year, at Florida State, they decided, hey, can you run back punts? He's like, yeah, sure. He runs back punts for touchdowns. So he's got explosive game-breaking ability. Malik Neighbors, a deep threat that nobody will probably have their eyes on, I think, because of you know what's in the first round and then what you can get on day two, maybe day three, is Troy Franklin out of Oregon. He's, a, he's, he's light. He's 6'3", about 180. That dude is a pure deep threat. He can do anything you want down the field. So if you're looking, this is, I think, the question that – that, that Joe and Sean are going to have to, to handle. Okay, there are some free agents out there, nah, and I don't know what the Bills' money situation is. I know here in Houston there are a lot of people talking about Mike Evans or even Gabe Davis or you know paying money. I'm like, why pay money? It's already a position of strength, and it's a deep draft class. So Joe and Sean are going to have to battle with that, and that is, man, do we, in the first round, do we lock up a guy in the first round when we can get maybe a player of that ilk, maybe just not – wipe that maybe in the second and third round and maybe get a position where it's not as strong uh, in the first round that you have a position of need and wait to get the receiver in the second and third round because I can absolutely see wide receiver um, going I mean I'm just looking at at my my rankings I'm 15 to 20 deep I mean I didn't even mention Xavier Worthy Adonai Mitchell from both of them from Texas the two other Washington Husky receivers Jalen McMillan Jalen Polk I mean, if you can't find a good receiver in this draft, then as a GM, you should probably hang up your – you just hang it up. Just hang up the cleats because there's a stud everywhere you look. The question becomes how far and how long do you wait before you end up saying, okay, now this is the sweet spot. Because I think, honestly, there's going to be sweet spots at receiver all the way through this draft. Yeah, just to follow up on that quickly, that I, I hear all that and how deep the class is and talented – the Bills, like on their money situation, they're not going to have really anything. Like it'll be bargain bin shopping uh, at best for free agency. And if Gabe Davis leaves, which I think is pretty much expected, uh, John, then they're going to need whoever the rookie receiver is to basically be the second outside guy um, with Diggs on the other side. So, but but as you're talking, like I guess even round two, round three, and you saw Tank Dell this year in round three, like you can get immediate you know, return on, on oh, that position. Absolutely. I take you back to Senior Bowl 2023, day one, and I'm watching this kid from BYU just tear everybody up. I'm like, dang, 6'1", 200, 205, 210, whatever he is. I'm like, man, Puka Nachua, who's this guy? God, he's tearing everybody up on day one. And I wrote my notebook, and I went back and looked at my notes, and it was like, intriguing to say the least well then day two he was gone 
Well, the Rams were like, yeah, he didn't test all that well, but they ended up drafting Puka Nakua when the fifth, sixth round. Now, look, I know they're outliers. I get all that. But if you get the right guy, and especially in a draft this deep, you're going to find, I think, the right guy. Maybe, maybe not the production in year one, maybe like a Tank Dell hat or Puka hat, but you're going to get a guy that I think first half of the year kind of learns the way things go in this offense. Second half of the year, Josh starts learning, okay, this is a guy who can get the ball to, he can do some things. I think that guy will have a higher learning curve. But in this draft, you're going to have it. I mean, it, it goes 20 deep to me. I think I'm going to have 20 probably in the top, probably the top 20, in the top 75. So you're going to be able to find whatever flavor of receiver that you want. To me, it's almost better to not have the money, to not be, you know, man, am I pulled by a T. Higgins? And we got a lot of money to spend. Trust the two guys you already have and then go get a rookie. I think the same for you guys. Trust what you have and go get a rookie. You don't need the rookie to be a number one right away. And I think that's going to help. But if you get the right guy, and I think there are plenty of right guys in this wide receiver draft that you can go get and make that team. Um, now, I hope you guys screw it up because we got <laughs> you guys come to Houston. And I hope you screw it up. But I don't think this is one that you really screw up. This is not a diamond in the rough sort of thing like running back is. Like running back, the running back draft is going to be tough. Very, very tough. Wide receiver, throw a dart at the board. You're going to get a good one. Listen, man, we, we could do this all day. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's catch up again maybe in the next month or so and closer to the draft. I'd like to talk about interior defensive linemen and um, maybe some other needs for the Bills. But this is great stuff. John Harris, uh, at Jay Harris Football on Twitter, by the way. Football Takeover is where you can find him as well. He's got all his stuff there for the prospects. Before I let you go, though, two things. Number one, the Bills do play there this year. As you said, I... I know we had a conversation a couple of years ago. Bill O'Brien never wanted the roof open. He wanted it closed. Is that still the case? When's the last time the roof was open there? <laughs> there was some debate. I can't remember what game it was, whether the roof was going to be open. And then we heard, oh, yeah, it's going to be open. And then they tried to open it on a day. They didn't walk through. And it was like, nope. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the roof's going to ever be open. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, no, it's just, it's not, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I mean, look, September, October, and early November, you don't want the roof open in Houston. You don't want it right. open. So then you get to December, and you're like, yeah, you're playing big games at that point. You want it to be loud, so you keep it closed, so that can, you know, the, this, the noise can you know, surround a particular team at that point and make it really tough for them, as Cleveland found out in the playoff game. So, yeah, I don't think that roof is coming open anytime soon. I, your your colleague, play-by-play man Mark Vandermeer, wrote a, a column at the website today about primetime games for the Texans, and I he predicted. I checked it out. Did not include the Bills. Does that feel like a primetime game for you next year down there? I do. He hasn't listened to me, but I, I do. <laughs> I think that's definitely that definitely should be a primetime game, which should allow us to go get some barbecue before the game. That's out. right, buddy. Yeah, right. I um I think that should be like we've got some. I think we've got the possibility of having some some big time. Probably we got Dallas at Dallas. Yeah, we got that's right. uh, you guys here. We got Kansas City at Kansas City. We got Baltimore Man. here. I think there's at least a couple of those that are going to be prime timers. I I would I would put us I would put us and, and y'all in the prime time slot. But you know you gotta you gotta get the Giants and you gotta get the Cowboys yeah. and you gotta get the we Packers know. and Niners. They're five games a year. You know it was weird because we played every game at noon this year. I mean, noon central time, every single game until the right. Colts game. And then we played finally on, on prime time. We, and people in Houston were like, how are we going to adapt? How are we going to adjust? I'm like, it's prime time. These, these guys, these rookies, Will Anderson and, and T.J. Stroud, they're used to playing at 730. They're not used to playing at noon. They'll be okay. So 
we getting back to some prime time looks. Um, it was good. It's good for the nation to see us play this year and see what we got. Um, but it'll be a tough schedule next year. There's no doubt. We're gonna we're gonna have our get our money's worth with the schedule. But luckily, most of them, most of the toughies are coming to Houston, which I like, including you guys. Okay, so we got to go and talk hockey. Something you might have to do down the road, by the way. You might have to do that in a couple yeah. years, from what we read in here, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I, is that gonna happen? about that for 20 years here sal like 20 years like listen <laughs> i love hockey i went i went to brown i went to every okay. single hockey game i possibly could i learned hockey from nhl 93 from sega genesis that's how i learned the go, rules Joe. of hockey i mean I, that that shouldn't i mean i know people are probably that's right you know, but i lived in houston you know i learned that's how i learned hockey so i love hockey i would love to see nhl hockey here but there's just there's been talk about it for 20 years and nobody can pull the trigger and get a team here but It'd be interesting whether the, the city would support. I think they would, at least the first couple of years, the novelty of it. But if they didn't win right away, then it would be like, all right, we'll, we'll get ready for football season. We will, uh, we will catch up with you down the road. John, always appreciate you, brother. And, uh, yeah, I am looking forward to barbecue in Houston, but, again, to talking with you about prospects. So we'll do that again soon. Thanks a lot for this. Absolutely, boys. Appreciate it. Anytime. All right, you got it. Paul Hamilton up next. We will talk about the hockey team here, the Buffalo Sabres, and we come back in WGR. It's Paul Hamilton. That's what they called me in college. It's the bone. He has the facts to back up his opinions. People will ask me, well, how are the Sabres going to win tonight? I don't have a clue. On WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, Paul Hamilton joins us now on the Western Hotline. Sabres last night drop a 2-1 decision to the Dallas Stars. Boy, Paul, I, I thought they played... Is like they reminded me of last year's team when they were cooking a little bit last night, right? But they just couldn't bury the puck. I I don't know what to take from it other than okay, you brought kind of your A game and you still didn't win. It's good news, but it's bad news. But especially because they need wins here, and that's why it hurts so much. Yeah, it does. It reminded me of the Vancouver game a couple of weeks ago that they lost one to nothing, dominated the Canucks. Um, and then I yep. looked back, and then I remembered the St. Louis game because they're playing the Blues on Saturday. And they put 46 yeah. shots on Binghamton, and he made 42 saves. And that particular night, the Sabres totally dominated but didn't get goaltending. They lost 6-4. to four. If they would have gotten any type of goaltending, they could have won that game. They did get four, but Binghamton still stood on his head. Uh, you know, in another game, they got no points out of where they played extremely well. And those are the ones that just popped up in my head right off the bat without even looking. I could probably look back and find other games where they played extremely well but walked out with no points. It just seems like, you know, they did score some goals in California in the last two games, but they lost to Anaheim because of a goaltender. And it just seems like more times than not, Dominic Hoshik is standing in the other net. Now, it's, with Vancouver and with Dallas, there are a couple of all-star goaltenders we're talking about, and Thatcher Demko. And Jake Ottinger, but statistically and the eye test told us Lucan had made the harder saves than Ottinger did last night, mm-hmm. which means Dallas was, you know, around the net. They were making it harder on Lucan than the Sabres were on Ottinger. And the thing was, I thought the Sabres were better than they normally are around the net, but it still wasn't near good enough. And I made this point earlier, Sal, and I'll make it to you also. Look at the second goal, uh, the game-winning goal, where 
the Dallas has a guy standing there waiting just in case there's a rebounder, just in case Lukanen drops the puck. It was really his only mistake of the game, wound up in the net. It didn't have to because you'll find out in a minute. But, okay, so you got a guy standing right there, and as that's happening, you got Steele basically getting into the net. He was in the crease about at the goal line. You know, and, and way back when, that wouldn't even have been a goal. But the other problem is, even though Lukanen made the mistake of dropping the puck, there was a defenseman right next to Steele. He was right there. Owen Power was right there. Didn't tie him up. Didn't knock him down. Didn't get him out of there. Just stood there with him. So they get a goal where Foxa just decides, let's get the puck to the crease. See what happens. Steele's standing basically on the goal line with with a defenseman with him but not covering him, and the puck goes in off his skate. And then I, and then I thought to myself, and Sal, you can think, think too, was there a time at all in all those shots the Sabres took where the Sabres even came close to a goal like that where guys are no. in the crease and around no. the net? And nope. is, it a, is it a lucky goal? Yes, to a point. But they make their own luck because they're there. You see, so, yeah, yeah. it's lucky. He went in off a guy's skate. But the guy's there to have it go in off his skate. The guy's there to pick up the rebound when Lukanen drops the puck. Paul Hamilton on the Western Hotline. Joe, I don't know if you want to chime in on that, but look at yeah, I, no, I mean, Darlene. Did you see Darlene last night? The, the, two, the two he missed, right? He, first, he, gets a, he did a spike of the puck. He got so mad. Puck comes back down, he hits the spike. And then later he misses. During the play, he puts his stick over his head. I thought he was going to break mm-hmm. it, guys. I thought he was going to crack his stick over his head. It literally during the play as he's skating back up the ice. That's the frustration he's carrying right now. He could hardly talk afterwards. He was being very, very mm-hmm. careful in choosing his words because he knows he's on the air live and he doesn't want to swear on the air and, and do that. He has slipped a couple of times out of emotion. Um, but... Yeah, he he was very slow, and you could tell how upset he was and how frustrated he was. They're all frustrated, you know. Don Granado afterwards had very little to say. You know, he didn't he didn't want to stand at the podium and talk to how talk about how well his team played. He didn't care. He goes, "We didn't win the game. We didn't score enough goals, and we we had plenty of chances to score goals, and we didn't score enough goals." That that's what he was talking about. That's what he was thinking about. Not we played a great game, not that power play goal was like last year's power play, the way we moved the puck around, he got Thompson open, not we killed through two five-on-threes and had, did a great job of penalty killing, not that we came in waves and had a shot mentality and put 48 shots on the other goaltender and had numerous scoring opportunities, not that Darlene, if it wasn't his best game of the year, was pretty close. He was dominant. Mm-hmm. That's... That is what I'm talking about. You guys have heard me talk about this recently. That's the dominant Rasmus Dowley. Now he has to cash in on a couple of his opportunities. Maybe it's because he played 29 minutes. The two Johnsons played less than 10 minutes each. He basically went with 4D. And maybe that's what Dowley needs. Maybe he needs that 29 minutes to get out there and go. But he was just amazing out there. How he wasn't a star in the game, I don't know because – uh, I know he missed those opportunities, but defensively, offensively, he was he was dialed in. You talk about somebody who was competing. Uh, the, the, uh, he was fantastic. That that's the if they're going to be a good team, 
That's the Darlene that needs to show up on most nights. Dylan Cousins was fantastic last night. Even Tage Thompson, I thought, uh, did well on the forecheck and had the puck a lot because he was in there competing and winning battles. Got himself open on that power play because they were passing the puck. Click, 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 click. And they opened it up. That's how they opened up the, the passing lanes and the shooting lanes to get him a goal that he's hardly scored this year and scored numerous times last year. That was only his fourth power play goal of the year. Last year he scored mm-hmm. 20. And um, he was wide open for the one-timer and absolutely wired it. You know, So there are a lot of good things to talk about. There are a lot of good things to talk about recently where they're the third best defensive team in the NHL going into the game, where they're 9-6-1 and one in 16 games going into the game, playing much better hockey. But if you're not getting anywhere or you're losing to Vancouver one to nothing when you're dominating them or losing to Dallas 2-1 to one when you're dominating them or losing to St. Louis 6-4 to four when you're dominating them, and as I said, I'm, I know there's more that if I looked down, looked it up, there'd be more we could talk mm-hmm. about. Just the Vancouver, just just take Vancouver and Dallas. How different is our conversation right now if they win those games? Mm-hmm. If they score two goals against Vancouver and score three goals against a goaltender who had given up 11 goals in his last three games. He had won all three, but he had given up 11 goals. We got. Then we're talking about four, add four points to where the Sabers are right now. Now, what's our conversation about? It's a whole different. It's a whole different conversation. Yeah, they're at least they're at least in the race. We at least have like we could have a conversation about the deadline that isn't just you know who are they going to sell for a fifth round pick. That's kind of. I mean, Paul, they they play well last night, and you can't. I mean, if they were in Detroit spot or hell, even you know a few points behind that, I think you'd be able to have a night last night and go. All right, well, you know what? They played really well. That's going to happen. They got goalied a little bit. Like, you play like that most nights, you should be do pretty well. But they've put themselves in a spot where there's zero margin of error, where you just you can't afford to lose any form of game, even one where you do have that amount of shots. Yeah, and they're competing well on most nights, but congratulations. It took you until late December to figure that one out. Where, where Why weren't you competing until late December? You know, competing is an individual thing. It's the fire that burns inside you. Why did it take till late December to compete in most games? And, and you know, that's – I can't answer that question. Well, now they have the St. Louis Blues here at uh, home on Saturday. A few days here to kind of regroup. But this is the kind of – play. I, I I like what I saw last night from how they pushed the pace. That's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. Paul, I'd like to see that mm-hmm. going forward. And there's no guarantee you're going to score goals, but as opposed to what we kind of saw earlier in the season, that's what I'd like to see going forward. I'd like to see more of that on Saturday. Would you agree? And they've been doing that. I mean, look at I mean, the Cousins line didn't miss a beat. Yeah. That first period, I mean, they were just all over Dallas. Yep. They were right. in the offensive zone creating. That's why I I I respect some uh, some analytics this um, the scoring chances, uh, quality scoring chances, mm-hmm. is so far off. I, I, th- that line had three quality scoring chances in one shift. According to the quality scoring chances, they had eight in the whole game. Cousins had four by himself. That line had three in one shift. Darlene had two. Middlestad had one right at the middle. Tuck on the power play was in the crease with the puck and didn't score. I mean, that, that stat was so far off. Now, I agree that Dallas had more quality chances than Buffalo did, 
But when it comes to quality chances, you got to take a pen and the paper and, and mark them down on, by your on your own because it's just not right what I'm seeing. I don't know what they consider a quality chance, and I don't know why what they consider a quality chance is what we're all going to go by. I mean, everybody's version of what a quality chance is is going to be different. Every coach is going to be different in what they think a quality chance is. And uh, that to me, that stat was way off last night. Ryan Johnson, did he get hit in the hand last night? Is that what happened? Eric, Eric Johnson. Eric, he, thank you. Sorry missed, about that. Thank he, he missed. A, he blocked a shot on a penalty kill. Yep. Missed a shift or two. Got back out there. Um, Granado didn't know he hadn't been in the training room yet. Uh, he didn't know if it's something okay. serious. So he did. He he did play. I mean, he finished the game. But so did Samuelson. His last game, he finished the game too, and he's out for the season. So uh, I'm not saying Eric Johnson's out for the season. What I'm saying, sure, sometimes sure. you're on adrenaline. And and you can gut it out and finish a game, and then you find out you're you're in tough shape. I remember Bob Bond in the Stanley Cup game. I believe it was a Stanley Cup game. Finished with a broken leg, and then they found out he had broken his leg, and he finished the game. Wow! Was that Jack Lambert did the same thing in the Super Bowl, right? Didn't he yes, find a broken yes. leg? Remember that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Heck, so uh, you, Ronnie Lott cut off his finger to can play. Take, can take you places sometimes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, real quick, we got to go. Uh, UPL, you think back in net on Saturday then? Yeah, I think he's in net until the the back to back with Toronto and Nashville in March, early March. Okay. I think he easily can go without tiring himself out. We'll see if he wears down, but he, he certainly was fresh and ready to go. And yeah, you'd like him to not drop the puck on that other one, but he made a lot of fantastic saves. That last period where the Sabers were down five on three twice, and mm-hmm. you know he made eighteen saves, stopped all eighteen, and, and some of them were some pretty difficult chances. And they always say your best penalty killer is your goaltender, and he certainly was last night. Um, first one he's not going to get. Uh, he was screened and the puck was deflected. But the second one, yeah, you'd like him not to drop the puck. But with the amount of, the amount of great saves he made after that, uh, I, I guess you could probably forgive him if you're a Sabre fan. Thanks, Paul. we got to run, buddy. Appreciate you. No problem. Take care, guys. All right, you got it. Paul Hamilton there. We'll take a timeout and wrap things up here on WGR. All right, it wasn't Jack Lambert. It was Jack Youngblood played in the Super Bowl and other playoff broken leg that actually played the Pro Bowl the next week in Hawaii on a broken leg. Don't know what I'm talking about? Go look it up, kids. Great day today. Thank you for joining us here in the Extra Point Show. Uh, Sabres Live up next here on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. 
Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.